your goodness today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hubert. All right. So we also um, we have a Spanish translation. If you'd like to tune in and hear uh, the sermon in Spanish, that information is on the screen. So there's also a pamphlet back there with it, so you could grab that. And if you are part of the King's Kids crew, you can go ahead up into your King's Kids room. And we are going to stay here and dig into Hebrews. And so as we promised, we are sort of out of the hard stuff, okay? Although it never really gets easy in the scriptures, does it? Uh, And now we're going to start to go into a series of encouragements and exhortations. And there is one really strong warning left, which we'll get to next week. But I thought it was really neat that Psalm 110, which is what our writer has been referring to in the last passage, Jesus being both king and priest, sitting at the right hand of God. I think it's great that in Psalm 111, right after that, which we just read, we see the psalmist celebrating and praising God in the assembly of the congregation. And so I believe our writer was not unfamiliar with that. And so let's listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. That's where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging. You see up there it says another, but that's really not in the original text. They added in for clarification, but I love what it stops right there. Not forsaking, but encouraging. We're going to get more to that, but I wanted to bring that to your attention. And do that all the more, while you see the day drawing near. You see, so we may have left the hard stuff, but this theme of drawing near to God is still bubbling up in all the passages. And as usual, our writer is going to bring us some new light to why this repetition is presented again. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but this whole entire passage, verses 19 to 25, is only two sentences. It's two sentences. We have, you know, the first sentence is from 19 all the way down to 22. And then the second sentence is that remainder of the passage. And so that's significant when we're interpreting the Bible. We want to notice these things because usually a writer will compare and contrast in those situations. And I believe that's what he's doing. Now, again, the first sentence from 19 to 22, we see he summarizes everything he's been saying throughout the entire discourse about Christ's priesthood and drawing near to Christ for salvation and sanctification. 
Now, I know you probably know that when you see the word therefore, what he's going to do after that word is he's going to explain what he just previously said. And it's your job to say, well, therefore, well, how far is he going back? Well, here in this therefore, he's talking about the whole entire new covenant from chapter 8, verses 1, all the way through chapter 10, verses 18. And could make an argument that he's saying, therefore, for the entire book that he's previewed that we just heard and we just read through over the past 26 weeks. And so this summary here is really neat because every verse takes us back to something we've heard before. Verse 19 takes us back to 416, where we have confidence to draw near to enter into the holy place. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 of Hebrews, it says, let us draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace. So you see, he's reminding us. Again, he's not going back just to eight. He's going back all the way to four. Verse 20 takes us back to chapter six. We draw near through the new and living way. We go through the veil into the most holy place. And that veil is his flesh. And you can keep going down the line. Verse 21, back to 414. Verse 22, back to 611. And so on. I'll leave you that for your own research. But this is so important because the pattern that we're seeing here is like that of a prologue in a film. You know what that is where maybe you start the movie out and they show a really incredible scene from the movie and then it's maybe five or six minutes long or less. It could just be a flash. And then you see something like, you know, five years earlier. And then we go back And then we live up to that point. And oftentimes when we get to the point, it's not the end. It's right at the middle of the story where it's just getting started. And so that's kind of what's going on here with the whole drawing near. He's just getting started. Yes, we must draw near to Christ spiritually in the holies of holies. We must be spiritually present with him at that mercy seat. We can go in where the cherubim meet and we can have presence with God. But he's now saying... That's the, you know, that's one thing here. That's the prologue, right? Let me show you that. But let me show you now what you must do about it to get to that point to really flesh it out what it means to be in the presence of God as a Christian, as a worshiper. And so he then, by adding that second sentence there in verses 23 and 24 and 25, he now begins to show some new and interesting material. Or in other words, he shows that he's been leading up to this, like I said, through the book. Now, we can go back to verse 19, right? He gives us that review. But now he wants to, I want you to lock in on this, he wants to expand that view of drawing near to Christ in the here and now. And it's been leading right to this point, and that's where he gets to verse 25, which is, after all that said, because you've drawn near, because you are cleansed, because you have everything you need to go into the Holy of Holies, don't forsake the assembling together. Don't forsake gathering together to implement that vocation that you have as this new covenant Christian. There's no such thing as the undercover Christian. There's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. Now, I know it's hard sometimes to try to put that all in, and maybe some days we miss church and some days we don't. I'm not trying to be super, 
you know, precise and legalistic about it. I'm just saying from a general normative principle, we ought to be worshiping. And he is referring to that weekly meeting on Sunday, which we call the worship service or the church meeting. Now, just to take a little bit of a sidestep here, what does the church actually mean? Because I know everybody's going, well, we are the church. And well, is the church really the building? And what about the church wholesale? And what about all the other ways that we use the word church? We have the visible church. You may have heard that in a theological sense. The visible church is on earth and it's visible. You guys are, we are the visible church. Now, God says that in the visible church, there will be tares and there will be wheat. And that meaning that not, we don't know who is the true church or not. We accept our profession of faith. We love, we live. It's not our job to be salvation inspectors, right? Well, he must not be saved because he doesn't believe like me necessarily. Now, of course, I'm talking you know, within the context of Orthodox Christianity, but oftentimes we get little hobby horses and we start to label people saved, not saved, saved, not saved. That's not something we should do. But what he's doing here is he's saying the church, I want to make sure you, you realize that there is a visible church and that's the church that meets together. We also have the invisible church, which is made up of all true believers from the beginning of time until the end of time. Those people that are converted, those people who are the spiritual Israel. The church, of course, can also be defined as what we're talking about here. And what the context here is the, excuse me, the local body of believers that weekly meet in community to worship God. In a building that we call the church. Okay, so a lot of times we can get confused. So we want to keep those three things in mind. The church is invisible. The church is visible. And the church is also a building. And yes, you are also the church individually. And so we see this. How do we know this? That this weekly meeting is important. Together with local believers. Because that's what he's referring to here. Well, we can go very easily to one or two passages in the book of Acts. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. The day of Pentecost was seven days or seven Sabbaths after the resurrection. And that was a Sunday. They were all gathered into one place. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, Sunday, they were gathered together to break bread, the Lord's Supper. Paul be, uh, be, began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So we see gathering on Sunday, we see the Lord's Supper, and we even see the long sermon. It's all part of the teaching and the gathering and everything's together, right? <clears throat> well, in the Old Testament, that was the Saturday that was set apart. That seven-day Sabbath rest, which was commanded in the Torah or the law. And that is a whole nother study that is so amazing when you look at it and you compare that to the Sabbath rest that we have in Christ. But once the law was fulfilled in Christ, that ultimate Sabbath rest complete, the early church began to meet on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why? Well, first, we can, we can sort of put that together, right? Symbolically, this represents what? Christ's 
day that he rose from the dead. Every gospel writer says, and on the first day of the week, and on the first day of the week, Jesus rose on Sunday. When he rose on Sunday, he didn't just have a brand new body. He just didn't have, you know, everything that was indicative of a man fully being raised that was once dead. He was not a spirit. But that resurrection was the first spark of the new creation, the first spark of the new age, which had been launched through his body. Now, the problem was with some of the Hebrews were forsaking the gathering on Sunday. How could they ever do such a thing? Well, put yourself where they were, okay? Because it's easy for us to say, you know, what's going on? You know, you know all of you, you knew Jesus' disciples, you know, you, you, it was so close to the time. Why wouldn't you just jump right in and do all this? But as we know from this book, that there were people falling away. They misunderstood what was going on. They didn't get it. Their eyes were still darkened by the Lord. Their ears were still plugged. And they were not able to understand Jesus and how he fulfills the law and really how he is now. Really, he is God in the flesh. That was a bizarre concept to them. So they began to apostatize and go back to the system of the Torah and the law of Moses. And people that were on the fence, you know, they didn't want to go to church. Let's, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I don't want to go to the actual church and get all Christianized. Everybody coming up to me. How you doing? Where are you from? Oh, you're, you're from that synagogue. Oh, great. And I don't want anyone to know quite yet. Or maybe you went and then you stopped going. That's what he's saying. Don't forsake that. Also, we know this is the immediate reason why they were scared because in verse 26, which we don't go there, which next week he talks about this apostasy that still goes for if we go on sinning willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And so he's talking about those people that apostatized, stopped coming to the gathering and rejected Jesus for the abominable blood sacrifices back in the temple. Now you think we wouldn't have these problems, but we do. People don't see the importance of gathering on the first day of the week. Again, why come to church? Aren't we the church? Others may say, well, you know what? I fell back into my old ways and, you know, I'm going to go back to church when, every, when I get my life together because uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I walk in that church and what does everybody say? It's going to crumble. It's going to fall on my head and all that stuff, right? Totally opposite, okay? If they only knew, Maybe some people just don't like church. They stop going. Maybe they were hurt by the church. They don't like the preacher anymore. They've heard everything he's had to say. I don't like the music style. I like contemporary or I like hymns or I like this and I like that. So they isolate and they begin to decay. We have the basic problems as well as laziness. Doing things we shouldn't be doing late on Saturday night. Saying, yep, I'm going to get up and go to church. And we find out that it's 12 o'clock when we wake up. Lack of discipline. Busyness. And many, unfortunately, I think, just don't see the importance or the significance of gathering together. It makes it so easy now, too. We could just simply go, you know, we don't even have to roll out of bed. We could just pick up our phone and watch a search church service. So there's that temptation. If we don't do that, we could watch a recorded one. We could listen to sermon audios all week. Audible books or, you know, 
watch that really popular, cool mega pastor online. And it just makes me feel great every time. And no, no offense to those mega pastors, whatever God's gotten them to do, they got them to do. But that's not a replacement for church. So it is easy to forsake the gathering. But is that what God wants? No. He wants us to gather together on Sunday and make that a top priority. So, what he's been saying about drawing near to God in his holy place, he's now saying about the weekly gathering. You can with full assurance and a cleansed conscience draw near to God with perfect forgiveness and grace, but only as we draw near through the assembly together each week. Now, now again, I'm not trying to equate this with your salvation, but again, if you have all those things and you go isolate yourself, it's going to dry out. You see, he's implying this strong parallel to the benefits of drawing near to God in his most holy place and then drawing near to him through the gathering of the believers. It's that important. You can now enter into the holy place of God in heaven. How much more should you draw near to his holy place here on earth? As you come into this assembly today, as you come here, you are drawing near to God. If you have faith to believe that. His indwelt image bearers are here. So God is here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's everywhere all the time. But he's also inside you and he's inside me. And because our God is a God of working through people and circumstances, he ordains us to get together so that way not we're worshiping and glorifying him and he's killing two birds with one stone. We're building and loving each other as well. Building each other up and loving one another as we meet. <clears throat> now, of course, we have Christ, the word of God. Hopefully being preached faithfully here every week and or the church that you go to or are going to go to. Jesus, the word made flesh, exalted and worshiped as the king. So the writer is encouraging them. I love it. He says, let's think about how we can stimulate one another. You know, that word stimulate goes, it's deeper in the Greek. It's more than just inciting or encouraging, but it's pestering. It's actually used in the negative sense in some scriptures, but he's basically using it in a hyperbolic sort of exaggerated sense by saying, pester each other to come to, to the gathering, you know, pester one another to love and do good deeds, not the opposite, which would be forsaking the gathering. You see, you could see not forsaking, but encouraging. Those are the two parallels in that verse. Don't forsake the gathering. No, rather encourage the gathering. It's that important. The writer, of course, knows that without the gathering, people fall apart. And we've seen it in our church, in our, in our country, after COVID. I think there's only about 67% people are doing all these stats on how many people have, came to church before COVID and how many didn't after. And there was a big drop off. Okay, so this is, um, it's more difficult in our culture than we think. But it's never something that we should pull away from. So it's not forsaking, it's encouraging. And again, you're not saved. This, you know, the definition of legalistic is, is this is what the Bible says, and if you don't do it, you're not saved. Or this is what I think the Bible says, 
you know, wear a green hat every Sunday. And if you don't wear a green hat, you're really not a Christian. I mean, that could be binding the conscience of somebody. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming to church. As a matter of fact, our congregation comes to church. The hardest thing is trying to get people to come to other things. But that's not what this is about. This is about coming regularly to the congregational meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. So if you're not doing that, or you're considering not doing that, you have to ask yourself, why? Now I'm not removing myself from the monotony of coming to church. And I said it. It can become monotonous. It can become routine. Especially after year after year. Just like everything can come become routine. And it depends on how you approach it. And it depends on how, most importantly, you view it. I remember never liking to go to Sunday school or Sunday Bible study at my last church. Many times I would skip it. And oftentimes I would skip church altogether. After all... I was meeting with Christians all week in other ministries. I was doing evangelism. I was teaching in various places. I was reading everything. I was reading the Bible. I was praying. Hey, man, I'm okay to miss. I'm fine. Well, does that really work? It's like exercise. If I miss the gym, I'll just walk a couple extra steps this week. It doesn't work. It's not the same thing. It's completely different. Other Christian activities, although great, even watching online, does not substitute being in here. Now, I know there are people that can't come, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ones that can, but don't. The normative is come to the weekly meeting. If you're not able to come to the weekly meeting, you let me know, and I'll make sure you get the live stream every time, even when we eventually take the live stream down, because that's what I'm praying about, and I believe the other leaders, I know we've kicked it around. Not that we wouldn't record, but then what about our people that don't have, that can't come? Well, no, we'll make a way for them to see that live stream. But we have to promote what the Bible says, and that's to gather, to come. Now, it's funny, because after I was a member of that church for a while, I got a letter from my pastor sort of stimulating me (laughs) to come to Bible study. Showing me the biblical reasons for attending the gatherings as much as I can and how important they are for the furtherance of the kingdom of God on heaven. I mean, on earth as it is in heaven. And so I made the commitment out of guilt and I started to go. But it opened my eyes showing me that we are not designed as humans for solidarity of worship. You know what happens when we do solidarity of worship? It inverts we start to go where our flesh likes to go. You see, when you come to church, you, you need to step out of your loop, your feedback loop. You need to step out of all of our little theological and hobby horses. We need to stay out, you know, we need to jump out of those scriptures that we just kind of go to all the time for encouragement. And that's great, but God has so much more. And as you see it, it all starts to connect. You see, we're not just designed for solidarity of worship. We're designed for corporate or group worship as a church. See, our ultimate destination is perpetual worship in the new heavens and the new earth. The gathering of the local churches is a type of this future ultimate gathering. That's why when we're here and when you see the book of Acts, they're celebrating what? They're not celebrating, hey, we get to go to heaven 
We're not going to go to hell. No, that's implied. But what they're really celebrating is that Jesus is king and he rose from the dead. It's begun. The transformation that God had promised throughout all of the church, all the fathers in the Old Testament is now actually happening. Abraham's descendants are now going to be in the seed and they're going to cover the whole earth. And we're a part of that. And that's what their mentality was. So we are going to have this perpetual worship. And if we don't want to meet and worship now, something has to change before you are perpetually and eternally worshiping Christ in his kingdom, in its fullness. Well, Pat, by then I'll just know and I'll just be glad. and I'll be like, You will, but I'm afraid too you'll look back and say, wow, I really missed it. So why do we attend the local church? Well, here's a few quick biblical but not exhaustive reasons that I want to share with you. If you haven't got this already, the first reason is what? God commands it. You see, we can't really get around that. A lot of times when we look at the scriptures, we say, I don't really understand this, but I need to do it. My children have a hard time with that concept, right? Our kids, I don't understand this. I want to know why. Why, 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 why? No, you obey. And guess what? After you obey, I'll tell you why. We'll talk all about it. So what we have to do is we have to realize that the scriptures say to not do this. And not, it's, this isn't some like really controversial scripture. Like, should we gather or not? No, no it's the essence. It's it, the gathering together is in the fabric of scripture to worship God. All through the Old Testament, as we read, as we talked about in our prayer and in the call to worship and our reading and everything else, it's there. It's everywhere. God has a, a grace for you when you attend church. I don't mean a grace like a gift, but you coming here, us coming here to gather is a form of God's grace to you. He bestows it on his people in the gathering through the local church, especially those that gather with expectation. Don't come like when Jesus went to his hometown. hometown, Not many believed there, so he really didn't do many miracles because they didn't have faith. He did some miracles. Again, it's not we have to have faith or God's not going to work. This is not, I'm not getting into that. But are you coming here every week going, I got to get out of here? It's, I know when you want to get out of here, you're not fooling me. I could see it at 12 o'clock. You start scratching your head. You start moving around. You start going like this and I'm doing all these dances. I know I used to be the same way. You know, when's he stopping? He's going long today, right? He's going really long. Yeah, you know. We need to come with expectation that God is going to speak and God is going to bless and God is going to maybe carve iron sharpens iron and he will show you the purpose he has for you to wake you up and get you here to worship him even before the worship starts even before the singing begins he may end up bringing some of you here but you see God wants us to gather corporately why we're united aren't we in Christ we're a united family of brothers and sisters and God is our father. Practically, what parent doesn't love when all their children are together? It's not a tough concept. <clears throat> it's just not the communion with believers in the local church. But see, God sees this much bigger. You see, the lead, your leaders at the church, the pastor, the teaching elder in the pulpit, standing there leading the assembly, isn't about him. It's not about me. 
but it's a symbol, a picture of what God is doing throughout all the churches all over the world on that first day of the week. So just picture that right now. Just, you know, when you see a globe and you see all the lights on it or all the, you know, all the church, you see all those little dots all at once. Imagine God on his throne. Everyone on that first day of the week, worshiping him, the leading of the worship, and then, of course, reflecting it not to the preacher, although that happens. That's why it's terrible for people worship, because it destroys. That pastor needs to have an angle, a mirror angling that worship back up to God. And that's the picture. So God is working in and he's going and it's just a magnificent, amazing thing. When you think about all throughout the world, this is God's system to represent the unity of the church worldwide. <clears throat> all on the same day, Sunday. It says here in John 17, 20 to 21, Jesus in his high priestly prayer. I'm not praying for these only for these disciples, meaning the disciples that are around him, but also for all who were ever, ever believe in me through their message. This is the NLT. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. We also have spiritual refreshment when we come here, I hope. You see, that it says here to be washed with pure water uh, in verse 22, which is, is technically possibly a reference to baptism. But God uses the church to, for that you attend to wash you with the pure water of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is working right now. The Holy Spirit wants to encourage you in your struggles, give you hope, strengthen your mind, renew your mind, convict you of sin, allow you to be loved genuinely by your brothers and sisters. And when all this happens on Sunday, which it does if you come with expectation, you start to become refreshed and blessed. And this stands, in my opinion, on the preaching and teaching and the foundation of the church, which is the word of God as it relates to faith, an evangelical church. The other thing is a lot of times people don't like this one, but the accountability to come to church. And again, it's not like we're sitting, taking notes, you know, Nanaya missed, what, how often did she come? Because that's what we do in the elder meetings. We pull, you know, Kevin pulls out this big spreadsheet and he, he's got percentages for each one of you, right? And we have a scale. And then whoever attends most, that's who we pray for that week. That's how we get families of the week. And of course, it's the Angholms this week. No, we don't do that, okay? We're not, we're not sitting there, you know, sitting there going, oh, accountability. No, no, that's not what it is. What it's about is that God has given gifts to men. When Jesus ascended in Ephesians 4, 10 to 3, it says about his ascended, it says that he who descended is himself who also ascended far above the heavens. Now we know that when Jesus ascended, this is referring to his royal ascension as king at the right hand of God. He gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So here's the picture. A king leaves his throne to go defeat the enemy. 
He goes and he kills, destroys, and takes the enemy out. And what does he do? He collects all of the goods, all of the riches. He takes it and he loads it up and he brings it back to his kingdom and he distributes it among his people and they rejoice in victory. Jesus did just that. He left his heavenly throne as son of God, embodied a human body, embodied human flesh, accomplished his work by defeating Satan. And now what does he do? He returns to the throne of God and dispenses gifts to his people. And yes, they're gifts. Pastors, like as, as dysfunctional as we may be, and as we're no better than any, again, the ear isn't better than the toe, the arm isn't better, the pastor just happens to be the mouth, okay? But also responsible. So if you blindfold the pastor by not knowing what you're doing, you come and you're not going, is that, my, is that a sheep or not? I mean, it looks like a sheep. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's in our fold. Oh, no, 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 he's going over there. And then uh, I talked to some, another pastor at, a, at a, one of our meetings, like, oh, yeah, that person's coming to my church now. And, and we sort of, the people do that. But that's not how God designs it. Find a place. Again, there's not, it's not like, you know, urgency today. You know, I, but become a part so that way you can receive that blessing of accountability and shepherding. And if you don't come to church weekly, it's very difficult for us or for any leader of any church to be able to determine who and who is not coming into that fold. That's why we have church membership, because that cranks it up a notch. Church membership is is so not only to identify that commitment, but also so that you can be involved in the process of this church. You can make a commitment to Christ before, you know, and you come to talk to the elders and we don't say, okay, let's, you know, have some secret meeting. But no, you make, a, 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 you make a profession of faith and you say, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want accountability. I want, to be, I, want to, I want to do this. And you know what? Then you can be a part of it as well. At least that's how we do it. <clears throat> we have elders and the congregation that contributes to the direction of the church. But this happens through membership or identifying. It's not like... I have a hard time with the membership thing, but it is, I believe, a biblical concept. It can become like legalistic routine and all that other stuff, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about standing up and saying, I am a Christian, I'm standing for Christ, I'm part of this fellowship. And that is an amazing blessing to your leaders and, I believe, to God. And of course, this equipping that it's talking about in Ephesians 4 is another aspect of this. You know, we, you know, you, in order to be equipped, you have to first join the military. You got to first join the, join the army. All right. So we can equip. And so God doesn't just use us. This is a spiritual hospital. I'm a doctor, right? But so are you. You're equipped to minister to each other the things that they need to hear to encourage them spiritually. And God has given you a gift. I don't know what it is. But your church, whether it's this one or another one, has need for servants. If you have a gift and there's a matching need in the church, you shouldn't be praying if, you should be praying when it's time to step up and serve. Again, we see this encouragement that comes from church. You know, when you guys get here, when you come in here, you should immediately be encouraged when you're around the people that love you. 
This is why this writer has a sense, such a sense of urgency, because these Hebrews were about to, they were not only facing trials, as we're going to see in the, at the end of this chapter, they were facing severe persecution, but it was really going to get worse because as he says here, he, he, he sort of emphasizes again on this concept of drawing near. You need to draw near. You need to be assembling together as you see the day draw near. Now that day of the Lord in scripture means the day of judgment. And as Jesus predicted, judgment was approaching in Jerusalem just a couple of years ahead. They needed all the more together to get together, to be encouraged so that when he does come in judgment on the temple, on Jerusalem, on the leaders that killed him, and that's all wiped out, it won't be a shock and they will be able to continue on. And and God, God, Jesus, even when he predicted all this, even said that, listen, you can flee to the mountains. You're going to be protected if you do what I need to do, but you must stay together in order to do that. So in a sense, as our day draws near, the day we will stand face to face with Christ, there is an urgency to now draw near to God through your local church. May coming to church a top priority and allow God to minister to you. Now, one of the most interesting things the church is used for is to gather those who are drawn to Christ and bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which the church is the absolute generator of the kingdom. It's pumping out the energy of the spirit, the gospel of salvation. The church is God's vehicle to do that. And when the word is held high and it's preached biblically, people change and this attracts others. Sunday service can be the vehicle God uses to bring other people into the kingdom. You see, the word church, ecclesia, means the gathering of people called out from their homes into a public place, an assembly. Those who are Christians are the first called out ones. We are called out of the world. God calls people out to bring them in. And when we faithfully meet, and we teach the word of God, and we begin to be transformed, you will draw people. Acts 2, 46 to 47, they were continuing day by day in the temple. That's where they were meeting at that time on Sunday. Breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number because of that. Day by day, those who were being saved. So there is a correlation in scripture between the gathering and these people having somewhere to come when God opens their heart and opens their eyes. I'm not saying let's now make church even more fun and exciting than it already is or more relevant. That's not what it's about. You see, again, it's about the church could be a professing believers and not. But what we have to do is to make sure that when a non-believer does come in, he doesn't come or she come into an empty church. I mean, that's a little bit of a put off, I guess, right? It doesn't have to be a, listen, if you have four or five people gathering, that's good. As long as it's in a small little gathering place. If you have a big old place like this and you got three or four people, there's problems, right? I think so. I, that, I'm just saying at least that's what's, put, that's what's put out. So we see this connection of the visible church 
and those people that are coming in. So there's so much to be said about this topic. I'm running out of time here, but what do we take from this passage? First of all, number one, our attendance and commitment to the local church has to be a top priority. So you you need to think of that, right? You need to say to yourself, hey, there's some days I'm not going to make it. There's some days I'm going to be traveling. It's not like work where you have six six days and personal days and you got to use them or you lose them, right? You don't got to do that here, okay? You know, just, you know, you need to make it a top priority. Why? Because worshiping God isn't a top priority. It is the top priority. So we also need to come every week with expectation that God is going to move. That expectation that God is going to be pleased with your worship to him. Not out of dread or guilt. We shouldn't come to get something out of it but rather so we can give something into it, and that is worshiping God amongst his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully if you do have any questions about this as a big topic, we have Wednesday evenings where we meet, and we have a nice little group that meets downstairs every every Wednesday. You can come and bring those questions, and we could talk about it more. I know some of it may not work for your schedule, and if that's not the case, you could always feel free to contact me and let me know. But I think you get the point. Come to church. I should have just said that in the beginning and left, right? You would have all gotten it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the grace of this assembly. Thank you for our church, um, who uh, the, the, the sense of the spirit here, Lord, your word, God, uh, the love that's among your people, the prayer, Lord, it's just, uh, it's a blessing. And I ask, Lord, that you continue, you cultivate that more in us, Lord, so that way we could really see God and really understand Uh, what it is that you want from us, not even from a perspective of going out and being the church out of this building, but even here as we serve and as we uh, we, we sense uh, your leading in those areas. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.